The Murder Minute podcast contains depictions of real-life true crime stories. Some details may be disturbing, and listener discretion is advised. This is Murder Minute. I'm your host, Mrs. Smitty, and today is Monday, August 16th, 2021. Today on Murder Minute, a pioneering rap artist is gunned down in his studio, and the investigation into the crime stretches over nearly two decades. But first, your true crime headlines. A New York attorney was found murdered in his office, and the prime suspect is a disgruntled former client. 65-year-old Charles Zolot was found by a janitor lying on the floor of a conference room in his office in Jackson Heights, Queens. He had been stabbed at least 20 times. The suspect in his killing, 64-year-old Nando Perez, was charged with murder and criminal possession of a weapon after police executed a search warrant at his home and found a knife, a t-shirt, and a bloody towel. It is believed that Perez was angry about a home foreclosure that the attorney had handled and confronted him about it at his office before stabbing him to death. Sources claim that Perez's brother was also involved in the crime. Police could not confirm this, but did say that another man is being sought in connection with the murder. If convicted, Perez faces up to 25 years to life in prison for the crime. A former LAPD officer has been charged with voluntary manslaughter for the off-duty shooting of an intellectually disabled man and his parents in a California Costco in 2019. Salvador Sanchez was also charged with assault with a semi-automatic firearm in connection with the incident which claimed the life of 32-year-old Kenneth French and wounded both of French's parents. In the moments following the June 2019 shooting, Sanchez told responding officers that he believed French had a gun and shot his own weapon in defense of himself and his child after French knocked him to the ground. Investigators later determined that French did not have a gun and was moving away from Sanchez when the shots were fired. An LAPD review of the incident found that Sanchez's actions that night were unreasonable and had violated the department's rules for use of lethal force. Riverside County District Attorney Mike Castron presented the investigative findings to a grand jury. The grand jury did not indict Sanchez. In a statement, Sanchez's attorney called the charges against his client a political stunt. A Washington man was sentenced to more than 24 years in prison for beating his cellmate to death after he found himself sharing the cell with the man who had molested his sister. 26-year-old Shane Goldsby was serving time for stabbing someone, stealing a police car, and injuring a state trooper when he ended up in the same cell as 70-year-old Robert Munger, who was serving time for child rape, child molestation, and possession of child pornography. One of Munger's victims was Goldsby's little sister, and Goldsby told police that he snapped after Munger shared details of the crimes that he had committed. Prison officials say that they were unaware of the connection between the two men prior to the incident, but Goldsby told a local news station that he had requested a different cellmate and his request was ignored. After the break, our main story, the murder of Jam Master Jay. Before he became known to the world as Jam Master Jay, Jason Mazel was just a kid from New York who loved music. Born in Brooklyn, Jason and his family moved to Hollis, Queens when he was 10 years old. Jason spent his childhood playing trumpet, drums, bass, and guitar, and singing in church before he discovered the turntables at the age of 13. Jason met future bandmates Joseph Simmons and Daryl McDaniels at Two-Fifths Park in Hollis. The neighborhood park was a hotspot for aspiring rappers and DJs to hang out and perform, and it would become the birthplace of one of the biggest hip-hop groups in history. The two aspiring rappers formed a fast friendship with the young DJ, and before too long, Run DMC was born. In 1984, Run DMC burst onto the music scene and became the first hip-hop group to achieve gold record status, selling more than half a million copies of their self-titled debut album. They followed this with another album in 1985, which went platinum, 
And then in 1986, their third album, Raising Hell, became the first multi-platinum hip-hop record, selling more than 3 million copies. Their cover of the rock band Aerosmith's song, Walk This Way, reached number three on the Billboard charts and helped catapult rap music into the mainstream. Run DMC became the first hip-hop act to grace the cover of Rolling Stone magazine and the first to have their songs played on MTV. Even with all the success and fame that they had achieved, Jam Master Jay stayed true to his roots, never leaving the Queen's neighborhood where he had grown up. Eventually, he started his own record label, which he ran out of a studio in the neighborhood. It was in Jay's studio on the night of October 30th, 2002, that his life would meet a violent end. The studio was on the second floor, and visitors would have to be buzzed in before climbing the stairs and walking down a long hallway to the entrance. Security cameras kept watch over the front door, the hallway, and the interior of the building. On this October night, Jay's office manager, Lydia High, was at her desk near the front entrance. Lydia was the sister of Jay's longtime friend and business partner, Randy Allen, who was also present in the studio that fateful night. In total, there were six people in the studio that evening when two gunmen entered. As one man stood watch near the door, the other man entered the studio. He told Lydia to get on the ground and then approached Jay, who had been sitting on a couch playing Xbox with his friend Tony Rincon. The gunman fired one shot into the back of Jay's head from such close range that it left a gunpowder burn on Jay's shirt, and then fired a second shot, striking Tony Rincon in the ankle, before both assailants ran out of the studio and back down the stairs to the street below. Though there were several witnesses to the crime, none of them were able to identify the shooter, and security cameras trained on the studio were either tampered with or malfunctioned and did not yield any clues to the identities of the killers. Police struggled to determine a clear motive for the crime, though a few theories quickly evolved. We'll discuss those theories after this short break. One of the early theories into Jam Master Jay's murder centered around rapper 50 Cent. Two years prior, the rapper had released a controversial track which called out some people that 50 had known during his early years in Queens, included a convicted drug trafficker and gangster named Kenneth McGriff. It's rumored that this song led to the rapper being regarded as a snitch and that McGriff ordered a music industry blacklist, barring other artists from working with 50. Jam Master Jay ignored this, taking the young 50 Cent under his wing and helping him develop his career. Could Jam Master Jay's murder have been retaliation for working with 50 Cent? Police investigated McGriff in 2003, but he was never charged with any crimes related to Jay's killing. Another theory centered on Jay's longtime friend and business partner, Randy Allen. Allen was present in the studio at the time of the murder, and his sister, Lydia High, worked as Jay's office manager. Randy was the best man at Jam Master Jay's wedding and had been named as the beneficiary on a half million dollar life insurance policy on Jay. Could this money have been enough to entice Alan to have his friend murdered in cold blood? Alan denied having anything to do with Jay's killing and was never charged in connection with the crime. The third theory was that the killing had stemmed from a drug deal gone bad. Though he had made a tremendous amount of money as a part of Run DMC, Jam Master Jay had also enjoyed a very lavish lifestyle and given generous gifts to his family and friends. At the time of his death, Jay owed over half a million dollars to the IRS, and the band hadn't released a record in a decade. It's believed that Jay may have turned to drug trafficking as a way to pay down some of these debts. As speculation and rumors continued to swirl, the case grew cold. It took 18 years for police to make an arrest, but finally, just one year ago on August 16, 2020, two suspects were finally charged. In an indictment released the August 17, 2020, the United States Attorney's Office in the Southern District of New York announced that Ronald Washington and Carl Jordan Jr. had been charged with murder while engaged in narcotics trafficking and firearm-related murder for the fatal shooting of Jason Mizell inside the victim's recording studio 
studio in Hollis, Queens. According to the indictment, the motive for the killing resulted from Mizell's previous acquisition of approximately 10 kilograms of cocaine from a narcotics supplier in the Midwest. The cocaine was allegedly intended to be distributed in Maryland by Washington, Jordan, and other co-conspirators. Jay had recently informed Washington that he and Jordan would not be involved in distributing the drugs, which is what is believed to have led to the murder conspiracy. It's believed that Jordan, just 18 at the time, fired the fatal shot while Washington stood by as a lookout. After the arrests were announced, the family of Jam Master Jay released a statement thanking the public for their support and expressing their hope that the indictments would be a solid step towards justice being served. They also asked for their privacy as the case makes its way through the judicial system. As for the two defendants, both are facing 20 years to life in prison and a possible death sentence if convicted. For a live discussion of this case, you can join me on the Stereo app on Tuesday, August 17th at 5 p.m. Pacific time. For more true crime headlines, follow me on TikTok at True Crime Headlines and on Instagram at Murder Minute. I'm Mrs. Smitty, and this has been Murder Minute.